or you know what? I'll get really offensive and say real sports, and then we'll see. We'll watch the internet go. Let's up go with flames. archaic. Yeah, as, as, as someone who old. as someone who loves both, the honest and goodness truth is, I really don't care. Yeah, I don't either. <laughs> you know, I, just, I, just let me know if you're talking about video games or people running around in fields. That's it. I, I don't tie my ego to the language used to describe my hobbies. Some episodes may contain adult themes or explicit language. Welcome to Pick Up Your Sticks, where we talk about why gaming matters, with your host Walker Neer and Brett Lindley. I'm Walker, and this week we are joined by professional StarCraft II commentator and Twitch streamer Nathanius. If you'd like to support Pick Up Your Sticks, you can always buy us a cup of coffee at our Ko-Fi page, which is ko-fi slash p-u-y-s-pod. As always, I'm joined by my esteemed colleague Brett Lindley. Brett, how are you doing this week? feeling esteemed <laughs> and i love it that when we have guests i always use this stupid pretentious language we don't talk like that any other time but, no uh, no you do not think that i am really esteemed i don't no i don't i think very little um anyway enough about us of course as we said in the intro we're really excited to have our guest uh on the show today nathanius nathanius how you doing today man well, uh, in, in the interest of keeping it fancy, I'm, I'm positively beaming today. Uh, it's, a, it's a beautiful Sunday out. We've uh, we've got a we've got a nice weather warning. It's it's getting very windy and very dry as as we approach the as we approach the summer months here in Las Vegas. But Ooh. I'm feeling I'm feeling great. Uh, it's good to be here. Awesome. Well, so I guess if if the StarCraft thing doesn't continue to work out, uh, weather is in your future, perhaps. Reading yeah, the weather on it's, TV. It, it's on the list. It's it's that one's a little bit. It's like halfway down the list of things I could do with my voice if if gaming doesn't work out. That one's on there. Whether whether man maybe back somewhere in the woods where I'm from, uh, I, think I, I think I could pull it off. Yeah. Well, luckily, gaming has been working out for quite some time for you. Um, and and we will we'll want to get into your background a little bit as a, as a person and as a gamer. But I, I was reading up a little bit before our uh, our, our conversation today. And I saw that um, now I'm losing my note, but back in 2011, um, you competed in a pool of of like 60 plus applicants to for a casting position with with IGN and then kind of managed to. to did you win that? What, what was that contest and how did that all work? That, that was kind of the catalyst for I think I, I think that was the real catalyst for, for the for the commentary career that I ended up in. But I was just uh, I was just a broke college student at the time. I ran the Penn State Collegiate Starcraft team. Uh, it was that was the first esports organization they had at Penn State University. But that competition just popped up on an ad while we were all watching uh, the IGM Pro League, and it was <laughs> like just take this replay that they posted everywhere, submit a YouTube video of it, email it to them, and you know like you'll maybe hear back from them kind of deal. Right. Uh, that was. <laughs> I, I didn't end up winning that. the 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 story of it was was uh, a bit a bit rough. But when I when I got out there for the top four, that was one of the one of the first times I got to kind of see what that would be like doing commentary at an event and meeting those people. And yeah, no, that was absolutely crazy. I made top four, basically finished like second slash third. Um, they were they were a little uh, surprised that I was nineteen years old at the time. You know, when when HR department asks you what your favorite drink is and you respond root beer and they, they both kind of look at each other like, what are we getting into? You know, this is, I realized that a glass was, that of warm was my, milk. Yeah. You know, s- sitting at the Cosmopolitan, actually, because that event happened in Vegas as well. That was the first time I went there and they're like, yeah, you can't 
You're not allowed to go anywhere or do anything. <laughs> you can't enter any of these buildings. <laughs> like, yeah, you can walk on the carpet that leads to where the tournament's happening, but if you step off of it, a buff security guard will pull you out immediately. <laughs> That's like, okay, funny. Okay. Yeah, when I was uh, 19, I hosted a stand-up comedy show just at a, a local comedy club, and they didn't pay the MC money, but they would. They would. You could have as many drinks as you wanted, except. I was 19, so that just meant I could have as many sodas as I wanted, which is yeah. not really very cool. <laughs> I made money on that one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was like, these MFers, man, come on. <laughs> oh, man, that's too real. Couldn't but, even go to the after party for the event. Right. Oh, yeah, right. right? <laughs> <laughs> well, so so that's an interesting question that I have, I guess, then is, you know, being A, that young, and obviously, you know, it's not like the StarCraft two scene is is a bunch of 40 year olds or something but um a what was it like kind of finding your way that young in, in that space and then also not being a pro player yourself because it seems like it could be hard to maybe get past the credibility checks of of the, the other pro players yeah you know i was just i was just somebody who was trying to do it on, on the side at first, uh, the way that my life kind of worked out um, around the time that I got into that top four of it. Um, awesome. Just to, just to quickly get over this, I was super poor growing up, family not well off kind of situation, single dad, two brothers. Um, I had like three jobs at college while I was trying to do all of this stuff. And the, the commentary opportunity came around the time that I had to leave because of money. So, I mean, the advantages of being young and getting into this was that I had, it, to me, there was very little, there was very little that could be much worse than failing at that. So I was like, there was really no reason for me not to, to really bust my butt and try. And I wanted to be a pro as well. Like I was going to events and competing. Uh, my, my stream made that entirely possible for me. But I think that, that that bit of credibility that you're talking about mostly came from uh, harassing players. If I could just watch them practice against <laughs> each other, you know, I would, I would join, I would find out what like the lobbies were. Um, I was friends with a couple of pros um, uh, back then, uh, known as Puck, was uh, somebody who actually got me into a lot of events, got me, got me into some pro uh, player hangouts and a lot of practice games, actually. I was, you know, it was, it was kind of cool because when Scarlet came onto the scene, I'd actually been watching uh, players like her and Illusion and a bunch of other people in like these big custom game groups where people would just play games for like four or five hours a night and just practice. I was like, okay, this person's going to be really good. Um, and that, that was kind of how I first got into it. I think to get that, you know, that sort of rapport with the players so that I could do tournaments and not have them turn me away. Cause they're like, Oh, who is this guy that just wants to cast our games? No, that's awesome. Um, so your, your introductory experiences, you kind of were in an open enough space to get in and, and get in and start casting. Um, did, when came the the idea to transition out of trying to go for the pro play and more for trying to like sit in as a caster? Yeah, so that so that event that we were talking about was was the big catalyst for that because I had I had started streaming around the time that I went to university and was putting that club together, but nothing nothing really happened with it. I streamed for like I don't know maybe like seven or eight months to two to five viewers, and um, I had I think it was like. I was basically ready to give up kind of situation, you know. Uh, it's January. I was just streaming in my dorm. I got raided by 
uh, pretty big StarCraft content creator at the time, uh, Lag TV. Uh, Maximus Black was like, hey guys, you know, they just finished doing like a when cheese fails or something. And they're like, here's this guy who's just doing this, this commentary of his Master League Terran games to nobody, um, you know, like show the guys some love kind of deal. And that's kind of what got it started. But I didn't think I could actually do the casting. I hadn't actually tried casting before I did that competition. So when it was over, I, I thought to myself, I'm like, well, okay, apparently I'm not as bad at this as I thought I might've been. So that was where I was like, okay, I want to do online tournaments. Maybe I can get a B stream somewhere. So it was around that time. That would have been, I think IPL five was November, 2012. So what came right after that was I, I, had, I had moved back in with my dad. I was, I was living with him and my brother in a, in a pretty small one bedroom apartment. But uh, I, I kind of told my dad what my plan was. I was going to try to get some online commentary gigs. And these guys had promised me, they'd be like, yo, hey, we're going to hire you for IPL6. Um, that event never happened. That company went under <laughs> in the next like two months between those events. But that was enough motivation for me to, to really try. And then the first thing that I got noticed off of doing that was because nobody would, nobody would give me time of day for a tournament. Nobody knew who I was. There were, you know, StarCraft commentary in 2011. Everybody wanted in. There were or 2011, 2012. Everybody still right. wanted in. StarCraft was still top dog. 100,000 plus every tournament finals. Um, but then there was Pro League. Pro League started. They brought the, you know, the top Korean dogs over to, to compete in StarCraft 2 instead of just Brood War. And they didn't want to pay for English casters. They had Day 9 and Total Biscuit do the first day of it. And then they're like, okay, yeah, no, now we're just going to have uh, a couple of other guys that are just basically Team Liquid mods uh, or community members. Uh, do it. Well, and, why pay when you can get it for free, right? Like, <laughs> you know what? The sto you could you could basically use that. What you just said describes most of the esports industry. Yeah. Uh, even to this day, if they can get away <laughs> with that. Um, but it it kind of came down to like this opportunity where I felt okay if I provide an audio only version and offer this to people because there were so many complaints. You know, I didn't know these other. I didn't know the. I didn't know Whiplash or Supernova at this time. Those are the guys that were doing that show, but. You know, they, they'd kind of gotten thrown to the wolves and that was where I really took off. That was, that was the moment where I went from having like, from that original raid, I kept maybe like 30 to 40 people that would watch me. Um, but that was the first time I ever hit, like, I think I like 800 viewers just wow. doing this pro league side commentary. And once I was doing that, it, it just started to open doors for me. Cause suddenly when I would, when I would send an email to someone and be like, Hey, I see you're doing this online cup. Uh, do you need commentators? I've done you know, I was a top five. I tell them that I'd be like, I was top five for IPL four. And I don't know if you've seen, but I've been doing pro league casts on the side. I would really like to, you know, work with an actual tournament rather than just kind of being someone trying to, you know, use it as a way to get in. And yeah, that was, that was how I got my first couple of real online, uh, series gigs. I did like Russian star league, um, Acer team story cop. And those guys actually flew me out to Germany for the finals. So that oh, was, wow. that was crazy. Um, yeah, and that was, I think about a month or two after the first event that I did, which would have been, uh, that dream hack summer in 2013, uh, you know, the, the one that will live in infamy with, uh, with he who must not be named at the, at the top, uh, with versus show, right. in that top four <laughs> life versus show it's good times. So uh, kind of, I mean, very similar to the other question I'd asked you, but Outside of, and, and to be clear, I'm not trying to get you to name names or, or throw anyone under the bus, so you don't need to be specific in that way at all. Um, our experience with the StarCraft II community thus far has been that everyone is incredibly friendly, um, which is 
frankly surprising not because i had an impression about starcraft people but just people in general <laughs> a lot of times aren't super friendly um but so outside of just you know your 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 credibility with with other players was it a cutthroat environment with the other casters or was was it new enough and everyone's kind of young enough or the industry's new enough that everyone's kind of in it together if that makes sense i don't mean to lead you <laughs> with my question there but just yeah just curious no well you know i think one of the best things about one of the reasons why i've been doing starcraft for as long as i have is because everybody to work with is is just you know they're a class you know just absolute absolute wonderful people and they you know i've i've had people that i've worked with that i haven't enjoyed working with and those people don't end up lasting very long so you know they come in they do their thing they they kind of step on people's toes they don't they don't hang around for a tremendous amount of time but i think that's probably one of the best things about starcraft commentary is you go to an event and in our green room it's just you know if if roddy and todd are casting a pvp on the stream the only thing that's going on with the rest of the casters is we're all sitting on like a couch or there's like two or three couches you know we have a little setup and we are just making fun of whatever mistake the player makes or, you know, we're like, we're like, <laughs> oh, my God, can you believe he didn't see that? Or, or we're giving each other shit about how, I don't know, Pig brought some organic sandwich or some something yeah. from Australia to eat for breakfast because he doesn't want to eat garbage food like the rest of us Americans. And you know what I mean? Um, it's nice to have that rapport with everybody. And even <laughs> in this uh, this pandemic time, right, where everything's remote, we've we've got a. We've got our own little remote uh, <laughs> green room thing that we separate use. Separate Discord room or just, something. <laughs> exactly. Just just so that when events are going on, we can chat about stuff and, and still kind of connect and not be uh, super, super disconnected. Yeah, I know in, you know, in, um, I don't, I, I always struggle to, to, to know the right word because I don't mean to be dismissive of esports in any way in, in describing it, but in physical sports, I guess <laughs> I'll say like, basketball and stuff for example I, I watch the nba and and i know that the commentators there talked a lot about the challenge of calling nba games remotely because they, they've always done it live at the game sitting next to each other so there's a lot of physical cues they use but for you guys i mean obviously a lot of the larger tournaments are in person you're, you're at a desk together but the the majority of starcraft tournaments and casting and stuff comes from online remote stuff so was that really that difficult of a transition to do these bigger events remotely during the pandemic or was it kind of just already a natural fit i think that we have that advantage that you're talking about because a lot of what we would do normally ends up being online if it's not a super big budget project or if it's something that comes up last minute you know they they can't you can't just get a venue a week before if somebody pulls a prize pool out of nowhere right uh so that was that was something that I think we all got used to, but it was never as good as commentating in person with somebody else though. Like those, those kinds of, I've seen a few of those interviews and those discussions come up uh, as, as a big NFL fan um, with those commentators and, and that kind of situation. But it's, it's so much, I, I really miss commentating face to face. You know, there's, there's, there's such a, an experience, even if Roddy and I can cast online together, like during this last I am cat events. And I, you know, I thought he did a great job. I thought, I thought I did an okay job. And we're working together. I'm sure for most people it sounds fine, but it, there's a there's a whole different level that's added when I'm when I'm sitting down. I have the game in front of me, or I'm standing up. We use the standing desks for a lot of shows, and you know Kevin's right there. And then when something happens that's crazy, we don't just say it's crazy. We look at each other and we kind of give you you know we we give ourselves like the oh shit look. You know we're like oh my god, 
Um, and then, you know, and then Kevin wave his hand and be like, all right, we'll just, you know, just get back to casting it. Right. Like, okay, we've had this moment of shock where we don't know what's happening and we don't, you don't really get that same ability, uh, to, to do it in the online shows. But I think that's the biggest thing that gets lost. Cause it makes, it makes, uh, the handoffs a lot easier when you can just kind of gesture to the other person as you're finishing up your point and they know that you're going to stop talking. So you don't have to worry about interrupting or, or anything like that. And sometimes the, the, the latency comes into play there as well because mm -hmm. you know, you're casting an online tournament but you know my paying to the production in sweden is pretty high but then i'm also pinging off of roddy who's in the netherlands and it's paying you know it comes back to me and then back to the server so yeah that's that's probably the hardest part is really just dealing with the delay and how hard it is to to change over right because you, you always want to try to have a good flow and you know make 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 things as smooth as possible no that totally makes sense uh, speaking of like working with other casters and kind of getting your your footing down as you're starting to become you know more of a caster yourself, did you find that it took uh, a lot of effort to like find your voice? Did you kind of mimic what other casters did, or did you kind of hit the ground running as your own you know persona? Yeah, my, my strategy has always been the same, and it's it's not just in my commentary, but I would I would also say in the way that uh, that I play games, right? I played StarCraft. Is uh, I was an orthodox player, you know. It's not an uncommon comment for someone to have that, uh, you know. Oh, I just I'm the I'm the guy that just only does this weird battle cruiser build or whatever, you know. But I'm still top two hundred kind of thing, right? I, I like doing things my own way and making. Um, I like carving out. A sort of like an identity within a game or within anything that I'm doing for myself. So for casting, the biggest things that I always focused on was I looked for the the key phrases that everybody else says, and I would just try to never say them. I tried to completely remove, uh, like uh, the the command center's going down. I never, I you know, I try, I may <laughs> say it sometimes, but the like the phrase going down is something that like almost every caster and every game uses. It's the easiest way to say something's being blown up or whatever. So I make a point of not saying that, you know, I'd be like, oh, you know, the command center is in cinders you know, laying on the floor or something. Um, I would rather be a little more wordy with it or something like that. I, I don't I don't mind being known for for flashy vocabulary if I if that's if that's the the commentary shtick that I have. But yeah, yeah, I, I, I don't. I think that's a good answer to that. No, question. no, that's awesome. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it definitely it points to like you did put effort into distinguishing yourself, but not in a way like you didn't go out of your way, not necessarily even to copycat, but like your learning was more about distinguishing yourself than it was about trying to adopt a methodology or even trying to find like you already knew who you were. You were just working on, it sounds like learning how to express that the best way instead of trying to either like direct yourself toward a style or away from a style. You were just trying to find the best way to kind of express yourself, which I think is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I was big into speech stuff before I got into all the gaming uh, and whatnot. So I was, I was already doing public speaking and taking classes and uh, you know, I, I ran clubs. I ran, I hosted the meetings for that. I was, I was a big uh, mock trial competitor in high school and college. So uh, talking in front of a room full of strangers was something that was already kind of second nature to me. So I think there's inspiration to take, uh, like Tasteless, for example, someone I, I take a lot of inspiration from because he is always loose, never rattled on air, right? That That is the kind of 
you know, those are the things, those are the qualities that I want to be able to learn from other people, you know, to always have that everything's on fire behind me, but you can't see it on camera. And I'm not going to let you know by what I'm saying on camera that everything on behind me is on fire because you can't see it. Right. So that's, uh, I think, I think those are probably the biggest, the biggest kinds of things that I've learned from other people, uh, through commentary. So, you know, you mentioned you were an NFL fan earlier. So obviously you're familiar with, you know, again, physical sports, um, commentating. I usually go with traditional sports. I know. I don't know. People get weird with lingo on this. I do too. How traditional is traditional though? What about shot put? Like, yeah, I don't know. Shot put could be a traditional sport. It's just, so you have to move around with your hands. You're not on a computer. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. The reason I've been going with physical is because it, it is literally that, and there's no, value associated with the word physical whereas traditional someone could be like well i've never played basketball and in my life tradition is video games like yeah whatever dude okay physical you know (laughs) everybody uh, loves arguing semantics these days i I know i I know i i try and i try and evade these things and now i've spent longer talking about it than i probably would have if i would (laughs) have just said (laughs) traditional or or you know i'll get really offensive and say real sports and then we'll see we'll watch the internet go let's up go with flames. archaic yeah as, 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 <laughs> someone who, old. as someone who loves both the honest to goodness truth is i really don't care yeah i don't <laughs> either know, I, just I, just I, let me know if you're talking about video games or people running around in fields that's it i, I, I don't you. tie my ego to the language used to describe my hobbies <laughs> I'm, I'm thank you thank you yeah. I, I that should be a bumper sticker um <laughs> that's, that, Maybe that's we'll put it yeah. on a shirt <laughs> yeah that's a really important <laughs> sentence that you just said um well no so what i was going to ask is just you know do, you talked about like tasteless and, and people in the esports scene but do you do you draw inspiration from the al michaels of the world or the you know controversial joe buck or you know i don't know but the the traditional commentators you know I have, uh, I, I think it's impossible for me to say that I haven't been inspired in some ways by them because, um, so I've, I was, I was born in New York city. Uh, my, my mom's side of the family is from there. I'm a New York jets fan. So my whole life has just been pain. Really? Um, I had a couple good years in high school with the AFC championship and then it all went downhill. Test so, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I got watch watching the butt fumble uh, when you right. were in high school was was really <laughs> oh, one of the okay. worst things that could happen to you, you know, because then everybody <laughs> right. just brings it up forever. Mm-hmm. Um, but <laughs> to to answer the question, there's actually I think the best example I could give there was a really good post. Um, I think it might have been Joe Buck. There was an interview with him and Troy Aikman, or it, or it was one of the two, and it was over the last year. They were talking about. Um, how they, how you handle uh, stressful environments or stressful uh, you know cl- climates for lack of a better word when there are subjects that you want to avoid talking about when you don't want to go too deep into uh, being critical of a player right when something's happening on the field people that are watching um, you know you don't you don't want to bother them by going too much into it or being too serious but at the same time you want to take your job seriously and not be too laid back and the uh, I, I think it's very important to keep in mind what what it is that we do, you know, or at least what it, what my job is. And my job is talking about video games. So my job is not to just talk about video games. It's it's to kind of enhance the experience for people who are watching and make them feel like they're a part of the show in some way, right? You know, I you have a banter or a rapport with your co-commentator. You kind of have that feeling like you're watching the game with us. And in, in that interview, they talked about how uh, when he would do his football games, when he would do commentary with uh, Troy Aikman, they would, they would get a drink. They would get a drink before the game started and they would have it there in the booth with them. And 
it, it kind of sounds crazy to some folks, but this is this is actually something that I've I've always loved to do. I love doing something to just take a little bit of the edge off because, uh, and I, I don't know have the exact quote, but he says something along the lines of, we have to remind ourselves that it's about a game. It's about something that's supposed to be fun. Games are supposed to be fun. It can be competitive. There can be stakes. But at the end of the day, we don't we don't just watch football because we think it's the most important thing in the world who the best team is. We watch we watch football. We watch traditional sports. We watch sports, whatever sports word you want to use to describe it, because we enjoy it. We enjoy football, and we want to have a good time when we tune in and watch it, right? And of course, there's always going to be people that are a bit more serious about that. But for the most part, the average person that boots up a StarCraft stream isn't looking for. I want to know every single aspect of every detail about both of these players' builds. Those people exist, sure. But the majority of people, they, they just want to have a good time. And I try to keep that in mind when I'm doing my job because I think that it's, uh, it, can be a bit, it can be a bit easy to fall into the trap of, uh, you know, you're trying to prove yourself as a caster. Oh, I'm so smart. Oh, I know all this. I took all these notes. I'm going to make sure every single note bullet point that I have, I get through. And I've actually, you know, when we've brought on new casters for things like WCS, one of the first things that I, that I tell when someone comes in and they're ready to do their first show and they've got this giant notebook full of stuff, as I say, I say, look, you're going to have a much better time on the show and people will probably appreciate it more if you take like maybe five of those things that you really care about and wait for a good moment to insert them than making it your goal to say all of those things before the show is over. Because that's all, those are a lot of cool facts, but it's, you know, it's more important for things to kind of flow smoothly and not feel rushed and like information's being jammed down your throat. At least that's, that's my philosophy on it. I know some other, some other commentators might feel that the, uh, the deep analysis constantly part is, is more important. And, but yeah, that's just, just my stance on it. So that's what I take away from regular sports. Yeah. And no, I think that, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think there's um, obviously, you know, depending on the, the, uh, the knowledge level of the audience and the viewer, how much analysis they want changes. So probably the bigger the event, the more casual the viewer gets at least. Exactly. You know, and, and so then you need more of that. Um, but I think that in that this is true, this is true in traditional sports as well. Storytelling matters to people. And this is not true in sports. This is true. I mean, this is why religion yeah. is largely told through stories, right? Like it's how we convey important things to each other um and and so i think there's definitely a, a healthy balance there of i mean i think you know to, to speak to someone you spoke to in tasteless i think that's kind of the balance that tasteless and artosis strike so well is that artosis is like this like stephen hawking starcraft mind right and then yeah. tasteless also knows it i mean he's been around it for his whole life but he offers a little more of the, the narrative side to it. Not that Artosis can't, but you know, anyway. but that's, that's what, and that's what makes them such a good pair though, is because mm -hmm. it's because despite how good each of them are at their respective roles, they also have the awareness to let the other person shine at what they do best as well. You know, you don't, you won't often see tasteless trying to overstep on what Artosis is saying. And sometimes Artosis will let tasteless tell that story, even if there's something he could analyze because he understands that, you know, that's also what people are there for. And having that ability to to know, you know, where the flow and where the feeling of the match is, I think is super, super important because both of them can be funny or analytical if they have to be. Yeah, I think it's also like there's spots where story works better. It's you don't have enough time in a big yes. 200 versus 200 army engagement 
to analyze all of the little you might be able to throw in there's an upgrade difference but that's about all you get but if it's just uh you know a reaper and a couple of drones there's not as much there's some excitement to that but that excitement is in the analysis like why is there an impact at this at the four minute mark versus you know there you can't tell exactly. a huge story as easily about that event exactly and when we do big events, it, it very much is like you're saying, you know, there's a huge difference between the way that we would approach, uh, you know, just a, a regular circuit event during the year when we're getting into like the semifinals. Yeah, you can you can still be pretty granular with your analysis. You can still dig deep into it. You don't have to force the hype. Maybe if the match ends up being really good, that draws it out. Um, and then comparing that to like a BlizzCon where, I mean, we go into it with the assumption that this will be the most viewed event the largest percentage of casual viewers or players that don't that either don't know or care about the analysis as much as as you're saying the story the excitement the moment that's happening right we're about to crown the world champion uh it, it's it's very common that when we get to that in that pace especially earlier in my career uh you know our producer would come up or our, our liaison from blizzard would be like hey you know just 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 keep it just keep it relaxed keep it super casual you know don't if you want to if you want to do some breakdowns you know you can you can kind of point to a few things but you know for the most part we're really trying to set up that whoever wins this is going to be playing for the world title and that's the most important thing that's that goes above the strategy that goes above the analysis and the breakdowns and i think that's uh, that's that's a part of what makes those moments so special is because you know at that point you really are you're like you're really trying to just get across the gravity of the situation to everybody tuning in so you had you had mentioned kind of like grabbing a drink to to kind of keep yourself grounded or just have something to kind of remind yourself to relate to a more kind of natural you know feel. But do you have any like routines or maybe a lucky charm or something that you go through to either like hype yourself uh, or I'm sure there's plenty of hype to be had at like a BlizzCon or something. It probably doesn't take much. But do you have any sort of personal rituals or effects that you use or keep on a regular basis to kind of engage yourself in the moment? Oh, definitely, definitely. Uh, I have, I do, I don't have like a crazy thing for normal days of an event. Um, but my my thing, my thing, especially for like final days, any event that I'm working on, the final day, I want to be super jazzed up and energized the whole time. Um, that's that, that'll be the day where everybody knows when we go to the, when we get to the shuttle, when we meet in the hotel lobby, we head over to the venue. I'm not talking to anybody. I've got my earbuds in and I am blasting, uh, <laughs> I am, I am blasting party rock anthem. Uh, you know, I, I, I put the LMFAO playlist on. I just try to get, I just try to get the hype. I try to get the energy up. You know, I love, I love my hip hop music. I love dancing. So I, I just try to get all jazzed in my hotel room and, then, you know, then as soon as it's go time, then I just try to come out and bring that, you know, like, hey, party people, what's up? Let's do this. Let's let's crown a champion. Let's kick some ass kind of thing. That's awesome. So uh, you've you've been casting for a long time, but then you've also been streaming simultaneous to that the entire time as well. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I've been, I think yeah, this uh, this August is going to mark 10 years uh, that I've been that I've been streaming on Twitch. Which is Congratulations. Kind of That's awesome. wild. 
Hey, Walker, do you know our podcast is almost big enough to start selling ads? Yeah, I had noticed that. So what do you think? Should we go mattress company, VPN, some mobile game? Uh, I was kind of thinking maybe coffee. Yeah, I mean, there's some there's some good free trade local. No, no, no. Like Ko-Fi, like donations. Oh, oh, right. So so we we do ads for Ko-Fi and for coffee. I mean, I guess that could work. But I was thinking that people could support the show with really small donations about the cost of a cup of coffee. And then we could skip talking talking about mattress companies or mobile games and just keep all of that content out of the show, uh, they can just head over to our Ko-Fi page over at ko-fi.com slash P-U-I-S-Pod and contribute to us there. Oh, I get it. So you're saying even if our listeners donated a single dollar over at ko-fi.com slash P-U-I-S-Pod, it would go a long way towards funding the podcast. And in the future, we could even offer cool things like merch or rewards and stuff like that. Yeah, no, that's definitely one way that we can pay our bills, keep our mics hot and keep the show going. And if they can't donate, that's okay too let's just let him get back to enjoying the show so you know i I know at some of these events you know you guys i know you're not typically doing like every game in a day or something like at a wcs or something but you're there for a long time uh and and certainly i have to imagine that fatigue sets in at some point in those days but then when you're streaming for multiple hours consecutively that also is taxing are those similar experiences? Do you find one to be more exhausting than the other or totally different ball games? You know, it's, uh, that's, that's a really good question. And I, I think that the thing about streaming is you always have the audience feedback, right? Like there's chat, um, there's, there's always at least somebody that's like hitting you up or you're directly interacting with the game so much that you can't even really focus on it. So I think streaming can be really tiring. And usually, you know, if I do a six or seven hour stream, by the time I'm done, I'm exhausted. Like I'm just I'm just tapped from trying to, you know, constantly, you know, be on. I'm not get I'm not getting like a 30 minute break while two other casters are going up. But at the same time, I think it's I think it's harder to do with the casting because usually the downtime ends up being like you're just doing nothing at all. Mm. Um, and especially when I was hosting events, uh, you know, though at that point, the segments that I was doing were only like maybe 10 to 15 minutes, 20 minutes if there was a delay. And then there's an hour of a best of three or hour and a half best of five where I'm just sitting there because we're not going back to the desk until the match is over. So I'm just I'm just sitting there. And I'm like, oh my God, I wish I had something to do. I'm, I'm falling asleep on this couch, <laughs> even though I have a coffee and everybody's taking photos of me half asleep and posting them in, in the caster <laughs> uh, discord. And uh, I'm like, okay, yeah, this is, uh, this is, this is tough. Um, I, I think it's, it's weird. Cause sometimes we do events at places that are a little more focused on security, like BlizzCon, we have to be in there a lot earlier because there's so many people that are trying to get in and the, sec- they don't have a dedicated security group just for us. They're like, here's an entrance you can go through before normal people are let in. And if you want to come in at some other point, you're going to need to call us and have, you know, somebody that basically has the, you know, the Batman card that's like, hi, I'm above every single person here, so I can bring this guy in. Um, but we we still go through all of those checks. So like some sometimes an event will go live at noon, let's say. Um, but we'll have to we'll have to be there for makeup at like nine or ten in the morning. So that means we have to be ready for the shuttle to go to the venue, which for some of these events can be a little bit of a drive as well. And yeah, the days, what I'm trying to say is the days get long pretty fast sometimes at these events. You know, we're all, we're already kind of doing everything for a few hours before we start. And then 
the show itself can go anywhere from you know on a on an easier day like five hours to some some of these show days, some of these dream hack days, man, go for like ten hours. Even if you've got other casters there, you're you're still you're still awake for eighteen hours straight at the a venue, just uh, just getting through all of it. Well, and yeah, and to your point, I mean, even if even if it's not consecutive and you know moments of engagement, it it, it probably to your point is almost even more challenging to go from like on to off for longer than you were on to now you've got to come back on again as soon as as soon as they're ready and the audience can't <laughs> feel like you've been napping in the green room exactly <laughs> exactly so for that so for that i do yeah right you know while we're while we're having that like super hype battle cruisers are flying around cutscene, and it's like oh this is the world championship I'm just I'm standing there at my host spot, just like quickly doing squats, and you know I'm like hitting myself in the face. I'm like I'm like okay okay you know get it back, let's go, let's go, uh, yeah. kind of deal. And I, I think I'm pretty good at that, but that's uh yeah no that's that's gotta be one of the hardest parts. We did like WCS from the Burbank Studios, the European days. We started probably like four in the morning is when we went live, right? So it was like those those days were just like absolute absolute hell with that but you know that's that's what that's what you get what you get paid for right is to show up and be able to do your job no matter what so just uh yeah just a just another one of the one of the things that you got to get through right well so real quickly i had one one last question on this this kind of line i think and that is just you mentioned it earlier that you know the recent event you did you felt like your partner did really well and then you did okay you talked about with streaming how you you kind of have in a more immediate feedback loop, and I think that that what I'm referencing might be the same Joe Book Troy Aikman interview that that you had referenced earlier. But Aikman talked about how as an athlete, there's a clear you win or you lose. There's a clear feedback loop on the outcome of your performance. You either won or you lost, and, and you know how to feel when it's over. But as a commentator, he found it difficult because he went from a whole lifetime of always knowing having wins and losses to being behind the mic where there isn't an obvious metric. How in commentating do you gauge if you think you've performed well? I mean, how can you even really determine that? That's a great question. I don't, I don't think that there is a good answer. Uh, if I, I mean, so, so just, just for a little bit of, of, of clarity on the earlier comment, I, I don't, I don't like talking myself up like that. Um, I, I, I show up, <laughs> I show up to work. I show up to, I show up to work hard and I always bust my ass, but yeah, I'm, I'm never going to say that I did a good job. If somebody else wants to say that, you know, they're more than welcome to. I, I always appreciate it when people have nice things to say, but that is, that's one of the hardest things to do about commentary is trying to improve because, you know, you don't, you don't want to just try copying other people because if you're trying to copy someone that's already respected, all people are going to see you as is just a worse version of them. Um, and at the same time, you know, it's, it's really hard to try and have a competitive attitude in commentary and Maybe it's the reason why uh, I, I don't know. I've, I've I've never tried to like push people around or anything like that in the space for work, but I try to. I I would usually just ask for feedback from the other StarCraft casters because they're all really good about that. You know, if I this uh, this is probably one of the one of the best things about uh, I was I was get, I was pretty close in control the last couple of years before he passed, and he was probably the number one guy that I would go to for feedback on my commentary. And he was and mo the biggest reason for that is. You know, we don't, none of us like stepping on each other's toes, but he was one of the few people that would be really honest with me. And he'd be like, hey, you know, I, I think that you thought I was finishing a thought and you were kind of like a little too ready to, to take the hand off there. And I'd be like, okay, yeah, no, you're right. And, or if, like, if you're speaking a little bit too fast in a moment where it doesn't really make as much sense, 
but you don't notice it because you're just trying to keep the energy up. Um, yeah, it's, it's tough. It's very difficult. I think as a new commentator, it's also a lot worse because the reality is we don't want anybody new to feel bad. So we're not going to tell you all of the things that you did wrong the first time you do a show because usually it's a lot and that's okay because I honestly, I think most mistakes on air come from lack of inexperience or if you're just really bad, then it you know comes from some sort of weird ego that you had that you somehow knew everything before you got here. And then, then you just, yeah. Um, thankfully, that's not something that I've had a tremendous amount of experience with in StarCraft. But I think as far as getting feedback goes, it's really important to be active in seeking it out. Pretty much nobody will just give it to you like that. Nobody wants you to not like them. Nobody wants you to take it the wrong way. Same thing goes with event organizers. Like asking the event organizer for feedback is almost always guaranteed to be a crapshoot. So I, uh, I, for me, like if I'm not sure if I did a good job at an event, usually I know, I, usually I feel like an idiot as soon as I make a mistake. Um, but I don't feel uncomfortable asking my co-commentator and being like, hey, was this okay? Do you, do you mind? Do you mind when I do that? Or, you know, like, oh, did I go a little bit too hard on this segment or should I have stopped talking earlier? I try to be very pointed about the feedback questions that I have because yeah, most, most people aren't just going to go out of their way to, to try and tell you all the things that you screwed up on. That's super fair. Um, <laughs> I don't think, I, I think that is pretty applicable in most normal outside of like, if you're uh, working a retail job, people will tell you all the things that you messed up. The customers will, but yeah. <laughs> outside of that, I think most people don't generally offer negative feedback. So I think, you know, like you said, just having a pointed question in hand is a, a really good way to to help understand, you know, any situation where there's not a clear cut, you know, black and white situation. And I, I think one uh, one other thing there, so, sorry to, to ju jump right back into this, but so with, the, with the mentioning of the Aikman thing, I think the other important thing to do when you work in this kind of job or this kind of space, and I, I'm terrible at this. I've, I've had I've had plenty of uh, bad days from comments that could have been made by a bot, right? On a on a Reddit thread or a post. It's it's very important not to just seek out what the mob has to say because and the best example I can give, what we were just talking about, um, I I would do a BlizzCon and it'd be the grand finals or it'd be like the semifinal, the last match that I'm gonna do. And we've we've got over a hundred thousand people tuning in. Some other thing is just finished. This arena is full. And I am gonna I'm gonna keep it very simple and just have a fun cast, right? And no matter how no matter how good of a job I do at that, I could give the greatest hype cast of all time. I know that if I look for feedback from strangers on the internet, I will find plenty of people complaining about it, no matter what you do. If you do the ultimate hype cast because it's a big hype event with a lot of casuals, the 50 people that only want analysis are all gonna all going to upvote each other and talk about how much they hate you, right? Or they're gonna tweet you and be like, "You called it a capital ship. It's a battle cruiser, idiot." And I'm like, "Well, guess what, man? Guess what? Athena <laughs> from HR who brought her kid to BlizzCon doesn't know what a freaking battle cruiser is, okay? So sometimes you just have to say it's a big airship." <laughs> all right, all right. Because maybe, maybe I want Tina from HR who brought her kid to BlizzCon to have a good time. Maybe not everybody needs all the deep down analysis. Okay, that's you know, there's people have YouTube channels for that and stuff, right? Uh, and, and and conversely, you know, sometimes I'll get a little carried away with an analysis, and I'll be like, Yeah, I, I mean, I've only seen this build on Korean Ladder. I've actually not seen this in a tournament, but if it is what I think it is, it'll probably go like this, that, or this, or that, or the other thing. And then. Whether or not I'm right, and some, you know, I as, especially with Terran games, usually I I do know what I'm talking about. 
even if I am right, someone's just like, really don't like the way that he just says what he thinks is going to happen as if he's somehow better than the player, right? Like there's, <laughs> like, there's nothing you can do. I watched the player play in tournaments that most people didn't see. I knew what they did. I talked about it. I talked about why it would work. Then it worked. And I'm like, well, yeah, no, it's just like I said. He, you know, he has this build that he's been working on. He's only done it on ladder, and we finally get to see it in a tournament. At least 100 people. Like, why on earth are you talking down about this player? Blah, 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 blah. You have no <laughs> understanding of the game. You're only NAGM, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, yes, so this. So I don't answer to these people, you know. Right. And I, th I think that's the that's kind of about, like, because... <laughs> I, well, you know, talking about Joe Buck and Troy Aikman, I, I don't think that they're the worst commentators of all time. I don't think they're the most interesting commentators of all time. But I certainly know that if that checking Twitter to see if they do a good job or not will never leave either of them happy. Right. right? It doesn't leave anybody. <laughs> who, who goes to social media that's like, yes, I can't wait to have all these people that I don't know tell me I'm bad at my job. Mm -hmm. Right. So I think that's that's kind of where the disconnect is harder because there there isn't that hard line that's like yes you did a good job because every you know you need different tools for different events i think different tools for different casts well how long did it take you to develop that 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 um awareness and and, and maybe it was innate but i'm curious just because social media has kind of grown up right along with your commentating career so like when you were new and social media was new did you find yourself paying more attention to that stuff or has that been something you've always understood is just noise well, I'll tell you what, when I was when I was getting into this and starting to get work at like 21 years old, I really did not. I really wasn't, you know, I hadn't been uh I was I was really excited and happy to have the opportunity and I didn't want to pass down any opportunity to be better at what I was doing. So, I read all that feedback and it it usually sucked. It usually sucked because someone would make like a post that didn't even make front page, but I would sort by new because I just wanted to know what people are talking about, right? And then someone's like, oh, hey, what's the best game from this tournament, right? And I'd be like, oh, I wonder what people are talking about. Like, what, what game did people think were the best from this tournament that, you know, I was just there. And then someone's like, yeah, I would watch this match, except on mute because Nathanius is just so fucking annoying. And I'm like, well, what on earth does that even mean, right? Like, what, what did I do that was so terrible? And I would, I would, at this point, I would go so far as I would send the guy a DM and be like, hey, I saw that you said this. I'm honestly just curious. Like, what, what was it about about my cast for this match that really turned you off? Nine, ten, nine times out of ten, because I, I used to do this way, way more than, than any person should admit. But I would, reach, I would constantly reach out to people who talk shit to me on the internet like that. And almost all of them would be like, oh, I, you know, I, it really wasn't that bad. I just wasn't a fan of your casting in general. Um, uh, I, I actually appreciate what you do. I don't, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it wasn't that annoying. And I'm like... This Sorry, is still useless. This is still useless. It's still useless. <laughs> only, the only thing that I did by trying to appease these people was find out that none of them even gave a shit about what they were saying in the first place. Right. None of them actually even <laughs> Thank cared. Thank you. Yes. And, oh. Yeah. I mean, the, and then the more time that, you know, the more time that you spend doing anything, the more, you know, kind of, uh, I don't know what the, the, the word escapes me, but the more solidified I became in my casting position in StarCraft, the, the less that uh, people felt like they needed to try to inspire me and the more that people who didn't like me felt comfortable say, saying it as such. So uh, as time went on, it, there was no more like, oh, wow, it was really cool to have Nate at another event. And it just became like, could this guy just shut up about Taryn? Oh, my <laughs> God. I can't tune into a tournament without this guy telling me 
that a banshee can't fight a queen next to a spore crawler because the detection range is 11. Oh my God, stop saying banshees are underpowered. And I'm like, I'm like, I can't please these people. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Am I supposed to tell you to just try to fight queens when they're hold position next to spore crawlers? I'm like, no, this is, you know what I mean? So like, if you, if you let yourself get lost in that, it gets pretty bad. And uh, it's actually only been the like last two years that I've even made that disconnect for myself. I don't, I don't actually go to like Starcraft Reddit or anything anymore because there's at some point when you're doing it for long enough, people bringing up your name becomes like the worst thing that could happen because almost nobody's just going out of their way to lavish compliments on the guy that's already <laughs> making a living off of it. Right. right. So that's uh, that's that to me is that's, that's been a huge thing with, with social media and all that. Cause you're exactly right. I mean, like Twitter basically started when I started doing Starcraft, Right. Right. Yeah. So nuggets of wisdom, there's probably more than this, but two that have stood out to me so far are, I don't tie my ego to the semantics used to describe my hobby. Brilliant. Uh, and people on the internet often are not very serious about what they typed. Also very important to remember. Anyway, yeah. I digress. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cause I've, I've, I, I have straight up had people walk me through and some, sometimes I get a good bit of feedback where someone will be like, Hey, you said this player's name wrong here. And that upset me because I'm a big fan of them. And at that point I'm like, yeah, I had a brain fart. I'm sorry about that. You know, and then they're like, oh, "Okay, I forgive you. Everything's great now." I'm like, <laughs> <God>. painful, painful. <laughs> so yeah. transitioning away from the <laughs> modern a little. Well, no, no, no. Like not not just not just the hellhole of social media, but I think oh, I think bad. there's a there's no I, bottom to that hole. <laughs> no, there's there's a funny distinction between how awesome the StarCraft Pro scene is versus how vile like the blizzard forums are <laughs> like oh, yeah. we could go there for hours but <laughs> um i i kind of want to get into some of your pre-casting pre-starcraft life like what first brought you to video games in general were you like how old are you what was your first game or console that really got you hooked so this, uh, I, I, this, this to me was, I think, one of the the big influences on my life was that uh, both of my parents were pretty young when they when they had me and my brothers. Um, they were into games. So when I was when I was born, um, my mom and dad had a Sega Genesis. We had a Nintendo. They already had it when they when they had us because my mom liked to play Super Mario and all that stuff. And um, you know, she she passed when I was very young. But my dad, my dad was into the games as well, and he kind of saw that uh that was a good way for him to connect with us so we, i spent my whole life as a gamer um my dad actually got uh, our first family computer when i was like six or seven and my first game i really dove into was diablo because my dad was nice. like yo this game looks cool let's play this together um and of course i had nightmares about the butcher and all that jazz mm -hmm. but gaming, gaming was just part of my family life forever and my, my dad only had like I, I know a lot of people that I've talked to her like, oh, my parents were like not okay with games. My dad was, um, so my, my dad immigrated from uh, from the Soviet Union when he was like 10 years old. So he was he was just super like, hey, if you want to do this, if this makes you happy, go for it. Just make sure you're balancing your life properly. So, you know, he was like, if you guys play sports, I'll buy you whatever games you want. He's like, I don't care. If you guys play football and basketball and just don't sit around doing nothing all the time, then I'm more than happy to support that hobby. So I was a huge Diablo guy. I played Diablo a lot with my dad growing up. Diablo 2, we like we had a whole thing when it came out that when we finally got dial up. And my dad's like, yeah, we can play Diablo with other people around <laughs> the world. I'm like, I don't understand. Like, <laughs> coming over? 
are they are they coming over? And like, <laughs> no, you just have to unplug the phone and plug it into the computer, and then just do this. And that was like a whole that was like a whole experience. So that's that's where the name Nathanius came from. Was like he was like, okay, well, we got to make a username, right? Because we we're going on the internet, other people are going to see it. So, so we got to make a badass version of Nathan. So Diablo two, and that's where Nathanius came from. And yeah, he's he was uh, he was always super supportive of that. So I've just I've just been a gamer my whole life. Do you have any? Uh, I know uh, growing up in gaming, my dad and I, especially in the time before cloud saving uh, and profiles. <laughs> Uh, do you have any instances of either intentional or unintentional? Because I've seen it done in both ways, uh, like save overwrites, where like your little, little little brother overwrites a save on accident, you only get... and you overwrite back because you're mad. Like we we somehow got around this for the most part because uh, a lot of games would only have like three save slots, mm -hmm. and my dad mostly like he had he uh, he didn't play games as much when we got a little bit older. He would, you know, he would sometimes play like PlayStation with us, but he wasn't really using it a lot. So like on the N64, I'd be like, there's three save slots. One is for Nathan, one is for Andrew, one is for Anthony, and that's it. And if you touch the other person's save slot, you know, you were gonna get into a bit of a fight. Uh, yeah. you know, so you're you're gonna you're gonna have a you're gonna have a bruise on your arm for a week if you overrate somebody's <laughs> save game. Um, probably the saddest story was we had Turok on the N64, which was a super fun game, mm -hmm. but it required the save pack adapter in order oh, to actually yeah. you couldn't actually save your game. You couldn't save a game of Turok without without the extra adapter, and we couldn't afford that. So, so uh, that could force you into being a budding speedrunner. Uh, I see. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, some, sometimes sometimes the only way to play is to go fast in, uh, right. in, in that situation. <laughs> <laughs> or if the power goes out, then you then you just cry. Well, yeah. <laughs> oh, Turok is so hard too. Like, like mm -hmm. if you like Mario sixty four, like you could eventually do that maybe. But Turok, like. No way. <laughs> no, no. I, I never, I never did beat it until no. I, I had to get the cheats that gave me all the good weapons, mm -hmm. and because that was the only way. They, we a, were, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was just gonna say I had an I had an Xbox that I I didn't know the hard drive was slowly going bad, but I was I think it was Far Cry like three or four, and every time I would load up a game, it would load one further back because i guess it would try to load my current game and it would see that it was corrupted so it'd load one further back uh. and then i would die or something would happen i'd figure out what was going on i'd go to try to save and it would corrupt that file so that i'd go pick it up you know the next evening or something and load one further back and i'm like am i going crazy <laughs> like i feel like i'm losing progress but you save a lot so i had like 60 saves or something but every time it just slowly step further and further back. And I, until I lost, it, I never, I never beat that one. So <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Well, so, so yeah, I mean, obviously growing up as a gamer, then, um, you know, you were playing games pre Starcraft. So do you, do you still play other games? Like what other kinds of games do you enjoy to play outside of Starcraft? I wish I so much wish that I could just freeze time for four hours a day to play all of the other games that I want. But I'm currently, I think I've got like eight games that I'm playing right now. So I've been playing through, uh, God. So in my spare time, uh, I haven't <laughs> been able to travel a lot. But you, I have, I have a mm -hmm. Nintendo Switch for when I'm traveling. That thing is a, uh, that thing is awesome mm -hmm. uh, for events. But I've been playing on that. I've been going through. I've been doing a Zangetsu run on Bloodstained Ritual of the Night. Mm. Uh, I'm a big Castlevania buff. That game was something I was very excited about when it dropped last year. I I, I kickstarted that like four years ago. I nice. I got in mm. on that campaign. So I've been playing that. I've been playing Paper Mario Origami King, Monster Hunter Rise. Uh, I'm waiting for the update because I'm at the Hunter rank cap. I think it's supposed to come out in like a day or two. I don't know. Um, so I've been playing that. 
Apex Legends. Uh, my fiance and I play a lot of Phasmophobia and Dead by Daylight. We love horror games. I've been playing a lot of Resident Evil. Um, obviously, I'm still playing and streaming StarCraft, but I've also been playing and streaming uh, games like League of Legends, Dead by Daylight again. And yeah, yeah. So it's a lot. I've, I'm trying I'm trying to play through all the single player games that I see that look really good, that look well written and whatnot. But, you know, those those sometimes end up being multi month approaches. You know, my mm. my Paper Mario run is taking a while because I haven't <laughs> I haven't had seven hours on an airplane somewhere in a little while. <laughs> right. We also mentioned kind of before the stream that you've got a VR system. Uh, so what's your what is your go to been phasmophobia there or are you doing something else with your VR time? You know, uh, with with the, with all the lockdowns and stuff that ended up happening, uh, my so my my fiance is actually kind of one of the one of the ways that we met was was somewhat through gaming. We had we had met in person first, but we didn't really talk. It was kind of one of those things. Uh, she was good friends with good friends of mine that worked in the industry. Um, so she was kind of already into that. And I, I had a VR headset cause I just like messing with tech stuff. I'm just a nerd. I didn't really play a lot of it, but then we couldn't go anywhere and we were like locked inside for mm -hmm. basically a year. So what, what we ended up doing was we just, we kind of found like a group of people and we, we just, we just go do like VR tourism and stuff. So, mm -hmm. um, I do, we, we actually just did Friday night. Like we just, we go, we hit up a club or we, and we just, we just dance. Like we're actually out somewhere, you know, um, or looking, uh, getting like that, that kind of cool first person view at stuff. Like, uh, there's, there's some, there's some dope maps, especially from like persona. Um, yeah, which, uh, yeah, that's, oh boy. That's a, that's a whole, that's a whole other, whole other mess. Just Google Earth in VR, I have found to be very like, oh, I can be in a new city again. Yeah, like, you can, there's so many cool things. There are so many cool things. Like, I, I know there's a lot of weird people on VR chat, but there's also a lot of there's also a lot of really good art. Like mm -hmm. there's 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 just some, you know, there you've got like full scale replica of Howl's moving castle that you can just walk around in and stuff. And sometimes chilling and doing that and having a beer is, you know, that's that's how you're going to spend your Friday night when you don't want to go out because everything's closed. So. Yeah, VR chat was a bit of a, a bit of a social uh, lifesaver in the last year. Just just feeling like you're out doing something. Yeah, yeah. VR, you know, there's just different moments in time. Um, like I remember when <laughs> when Grand Theft Auto Three came out, and a buddy was telling me about it, and I had never heard of it. I'd never heard of the original GTAs, and he was just telling me about a gameplay session where he's like, "Yeah, I just I stole a cop car, and now I'm in a gunfight with the street gang, and then." I'll probably get arrested, but then when I get out, I can just drive cab missions to make some money. And I was like, there's no way this is real. Like, this is so insane. Like, it's this <laughs> paradigm shift in gaming for me. And and I went to Brett's. Brett has a VR headset. And I went over to his house last winter and, and tested that out. And even just with a few hours of it, it was that same kind of feeling of just like, wow, this is like the next paradigm shift. Um here which again not that that's like a unique take for me or or something to say that vr is the next thing but it really is just i think until someone experiences it it's, it's just kind of hard to convey how cool it really is yeah and they've, they've come leaps and bounds i was uh i was like the when they released the first uh vive headset i i got in on the initial wave of those it's come so far since those days like the the process for getting into it is getting easier the software is improving the hardware is making leaps and bounds and hopefully that continues to be the case because there's some cool stuff there's some cool stuff and I, I can't imagine what we'll be doing with that in even five ten years from now right. i really i really want the 
kaiju Godzilla like giant robot oh, scene oh, yeah. to start <laughs> getting more into VR. Like I want to <laughs> destroy giant towers with lightning breath and big lizard claw punches and destroy skyscrapers, swap planes out of the sky. Like get, give me that more. I want to watch football in VR. I want them to do that. I go. think they did. And I, th I think, I think you were saying NBA. They didn't, they, they did something like that at some point. I think they did. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. But I'm like that, that concept I think is something that could be awesome too, especially for times like, you know, and not even just a time where people have to be inside, but you know, there, there are people with accessibility issues that can't really go to events as much as they'd want. And, just the idea that you could be sitting, you know, uh, it, it, right behind the end zone in VR when someone comes in and scores a touchdown in real time. Like to me, that, that the potential there is like mind boggling, right? Yeah, well, and there's something and I don't know. I'm sure there's a clear explanation for what I'm describing that I'm just not familiar with. But like when you watch a game on TV and you see the athletes running up and down the field, it kind of just looks like they're just people running up and down a field. But when you're there... I don't, I don't like it, it's still the same people still running on the same, you know, it, physical it space. Totally different. Yeah. It's like the sense of speed with some of those people just like, Oh my God, like he is so fast. And on TV, <laughs> you just don't get that same, that same feeling. Um, well, so, you know, obviously Starcraft two has been around for a very a long time and had a really great career and is still going and, you know, has events for the next few years already lined up. But do you see yourself, sticking with starcraft for as long as you can or do you do you, you know you have a wide interest in a variety of other games would you be interested in commentating and casting for other games as well yeah so that's that's kind of been the big focus for me the last few years uh, mostly mostly through my you know internal discussions with blizzard and what their plans for the game are uh surprise surprise not really a lot uh they've got we've got our contract with esl and uh, dreamhack for them to run starcraft events until i think katowitz 2023 um, but after that, you know, there, there may not, there may not be anything, right. That's, mm -hmm. you know, a, a lot of people try to be very hopeful about that. Everybody's talking about what do we do to keep things going? What, how do we make it happen as a professional? I know that whatever happens, it's not going to be through them. Right. So right. I think, uh, I think it started like 2018. I started branching out and doing some other things. It, none, none of it really on the same scale as the Starcraft work that I've been doing. Um, which is still what I'm primarily known for, but I've been I've been able to cast a lot of other shows like Twitch Rivals for things like Sekiro, Rainbow Six. Like I I'll basically play anything when it comes out for a bit and try it out. And if I like it, you know, I I try to get involved. Um, yeah, and then even this year, this month actually, this weekend, I'm going to be doing uh, Apex Legends GLL for the for their asian regions so awesome that was that was a lot of fun i got to commentate t1 kick everybody's ass in the japan korea tournament they had two weeks ago so that's that's kind of been where i'm at i love branching out and expanding what i'm doing obviously i don't ever want to stop doing starcraft but you know the number of opportunities there is not something that's under my control unfortunately right right yeah fair so one thing that we always try to kind of dig into with all of our guests, it's the tagline of our show. It's why gaming matters. So when you hear, whether it be socially or personally, what comes to mind when we ask, why does gaming matter to you? And it's, it's, uh, I've been, I've been thinking about this since I, since I first saw that one in the prompt and it's, it's kind of a heavy answer for me, to be honest, because ga gaming is my life. You know, gaming is how is 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 a way that I, I connected with with my brothers growing up. It's the way I connected with my dad growing up. 
it, it kind of, it was how I connected with people when I didn't have any friends and I went to school and I made all my friends through, through Starcraft, even before I even thought about it being a job. Right. And then the opportunities that came for me were, were through that. So I, I think gaming overall is just something incredible because the, the way that it brings people together is just unlike anything else. I've lived away from where I grew up in Pennsylvania. I've lived, uh, you know, between California and now Nevada for the last eight years of my life. I, I get to see my brothers maybe like two, three times a year if I'm lucky. Uh, it's not, you know, it's not cheap for me to go see them. It's not cheap for them to come see me. Um, and there's not, not a lot of events that happen up there, but you know, they started having like games come out that are cross play in the last year, games I wouldn't normally care to try or play. But the fact that my brother who was getting through college, he's got a full-time job, you know, he, he has, he has his own whole thing going on, but he can sit down at seven o'clock and play games with me at four o'clock and we can play call of duty with his PlayStation and my computer. You know, there's nothing, there's nothing that beats being able to spend quality time with them like that. Because, you know, we get to catch up. We get to have some fun playing games like we always did growing up. And there's just, there's, there's only so many things that you can, that you can do, you know, to, to keep in touch with people like that. So for me, gaming is what is, is one of the big things that helps keep my family together, right? It's, it, it, it helps us all spend time together when we're far apart. And with, with the VR and stuff, it's, it's been a good escape because it's been, you know, it's been a really tough year for a lot of people. And, you know, and for, for many, for many people, a lot, a lot worse than it was for me just losing some events. So I think, uh, yeah, I, I, that's, that's what I really love about gaming the most, just the ability for it to bring people together and yeah, to, to have that quality time with people that you can't be with close by. That's awesome. That's a, that's a really beautiful answer. Um, and yeah, similar to, to, to where Brett and I come from with it as well. Um, this is potentially a really bad question. I don't know. So whatever. <laughs> it's a podcast. Um, you know, we're obviously we're wrapping up here, but and again, this might be bad because it's maybe somewhat loaded or something. But just, you know, you described it briefly, at least that, you know, you, you grew up with not a lot of money and, and, a, and, you know, living in a small household and and grew up in a time before this. What you're doing now was possible, right? I mean, when you're yeah. Eight years old, you can't be a pro sports, a pro esports commentator because it doesn't exist, at least not here. Exactly. Maybe in South Korea, but um, just, uh, I guess, and also I don't know how to ask it. So that's what makes it a bad question. But just <laughs> what is it like to, to be where, to look back and be where you are now? Like, does it feel surreal ever still? And I, I also don't mean to like speak to your life or something. I don't know no. you at all, but does that make sense? No, no, you're totally, you're totally fine with that. And it's something that I think about a lot because I, I, I try to keep myself grounded. You know, I think that I have done a lot of cool things, but I know that if I just randomly drop into a conversation, oh yeah, you know, I had that beer when I was in Germany, that that can sound, I know how that can sound to somebody who doesn't get to travel a lot. Right. And I try to be mindful of things like that. I screw that up all the time because I don't, I don't ever try to, uh, you know, be something that I'm not. And when, when I think about who I am, I still think about the, you know, the, the scrappy kid that didn't have anything that was just, you know, trying to make something happen with his life. You know, I, I always wanted to, to be really passionate about something and work really hard on it. And it, it wasn't until, you know, this stuff started that I found that, but looking back, it's, it's mostly funny because a lot of people in my space are all, are all like, you know, oh yeah, 2011, 2012, the glory days, you know, and I'm thinking, I'm like, well, I was, I was still living on the floor 
Uh, I didn't have a bed or even a couch that I could stay on when I was trying to get my casting career started. I, you know, the only reason I ate is because one of my good friends would just come bring me food because my dad was gone all the time. My brother was gone. And I was just trying to commentate video games for 14 hours a day, hoping that something would happen that I could get to an event or, you know, at least get my stream big enough that I could take care of myself. And yeah, it's, I'm forever grateful to, to all of the people that have helped me. And I try to, you know, anytime that I, that I see somebody that's, uh, that it's been uh, watching for a long time, whether they're subbed or not, I always try to make sure to, to give that thanks and be like, Hey, it's good to see somebody from the old days around here kind of thing. And yeah, I, I just, I think it's very important not to, not to forget about how hard things were before, because that allows me to appreciate what I have now, which, uh, which is thankfully much better than it was back then. Yeah. Well, that's, that's super awesome. And thank you for, for, for sharing that, that bit of insight. Um, and I, I think it's just the reason I wanted to ask is because, um, I think it's important for people to hear that too. Cause you know, when you see someone that, you know, if someone tunes into a Starcraft two tournament now and they see Nathaniel, like, you're just a figure in that space, but you didn't just get born <laughs> on the stage at WCS, yeah. right? Like <laughs> you came from somewhere too. And so it's just important for people to hear. I think that, um, no matter where you start, you can end somewhere totally different. Right. And that's, that's, that's valuable. Yeah. I, I, I think, uh, work ethic is a really important part about it. Um, but the hard, it's, it's so hard to find what you like to do in life. And for, for me, I found out, uh, at some point, I think in high school, I think my English teacher was saying, everybody's more scared of talking publicly than dying. And I was, I just felt inspired by that. I was like, Oh my God. So all I got to do is just be able to speak to people, right. And get ideas across or something like that. And they'll, they'll always be able to have a job or something like that. So I love meeting people. I love working with people. I love talking with people. So to be able to do that as my job. And then, you know, when I get to go to events, when they, you know, please soon, right. <laughs> Whenever <laughs> they start again, you know, just being able to go there and actually have that face to face with people and have a real conversation with them. Like I'm having with you now, instead of just being that figure on a screen, you know, I, those, that's, those are the moments where I, where I really shine. And I'm just, I'm just so thankful that I'm able to do something that, uh, that I, I don't just love, but that I, that I think that I can be hopefully good at, uh, most of the time. Right. Well, we are immensely thankful that you have taken the time to join us and have a conversation with us. Super appreciate it. You've been an awesome guest. And if you, uh, as we kind of wrap up, is there anything else that you'd like to say? Anything you want to shout out? Of course, we'll have links uh, down in the description for your Twitch and your Twitter. Um, is there anywhere else that you want to direct people to to find you or engage with your community? Yeah, I'll, I'll just say my Twitch, uh, Twitch Nathanius. I'm going to be doing some playthroughs of Resident Evil 7 and 8 over the coming weeks. And of course, StarCraft, League, Apex, all that other stuff. I'm mixing it up a lot. And uh, for, for, my, for my one shout out, I'll say a big thanks to my sponsor, Corsair, not just because I love the stuff that they make, but they've also been very supportive of me uh, in this. This last year has been very difficult on a lot of people right. and uh, they've had my back. So I just want to give another big shout out to those guys. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Nathaniel, for your time. And, and thank you so much for having me on. This was really this was really a good time. Thank you. So that's all for our episode today. If you like this episode, consider buying us a coffee at our Ko-Fi page, which is ko-fi.com slash P-U-Y-S-Pod. Or just tell a friend about us because word of mouth really does make a difference. All of our links and social accounts are available in the show notes. And if you'd like to hear more from either of us on topics outside of gaming, 
Walker's podcast, The Walk Show, talks about the walk of life while interviewing various guests. And my other podcast, Dungeons and Dinners, is where the love of fantasy is food for thought. Mm-hmm.